Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Good. I just think about it. (laughs) No, I just wanted to make sure that I was being accurate because I think when people are like, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks. Even if that may not necessarily be true. So I just had to think, take a moment to reflect on how I was feeling and then answer. You want me to be honest with you, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it's a good point. As As a Brit, I am fine is pretty standard and it's not because i don't want to say how i really feel it's just because i know that that will elicit further conversation that might make me feel awkward but then why wouldn't you just say i'd rather not say (laughs) because then it depends on who you're saying that to because some people just can't have a i'd rather not say because there's also an assumption that i'd rather not say means oh it's terrible you know (laughs) That's negativity bias. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's also a risk in saying I'd rather not say. Anyway. I feel like you're trying to tell me something about how you're feeling without no, not inviting further conversation. No. So I can't tell now if you're being honest or you just don't want to tell me. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm actually really excited because we haven't done this in ages. I have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've just drank some coffee. <laughs> so this might be a bit wild. You're buzzing. I'm buzzing. So we've done 30 episodes. That's not true. Well, now we've done about 32. There you go. But, okay, we've done... Done just over 30 episodes. Not only are you lying to me about how you feel, but you're now lying to our listeners, our precious, precious listeners, about the number of podcasts we've done. But I'm not lying. We have done 30 episodes. Just not only. We've done more. <laughs> I could say we've done 10, and that would be true. All right. Fine. I mean, if you want to operate in shades of grey. <laughs> I think our entire podcast is about shades of grey. So we've done 32 episodes, and my point was amazing that's so cool yeah and i think where we've come from where we started back in april our commitment to doing this our commitment to doing this this shit ain't easy this is hard fucking work right (laughs) and also the amount of people that we've spoken to the guests Mm -hmm. you know not only the guests the people we've connected to on social media platforms fuck mary kill among our guests Right. Because I love all of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just been a journey, <laughs> should I say. There is lots to reflect on. So what I wanted to do was, based on the fact that we've reached this milestone, based on the fact that we've been doing this now for a good number of months and we've got into a good rhythm and we've talked about some really, really interesting topics, I'd like to just take this episode to pause, reflect, on what we've learned, where we've come from and who we've spoken to and give our listeners a bit of a checkpoint on a journey to transformation. Okay. How do you feel about that? Are you happy? Excited? Yes. Just a couple of things that people have said about us and the episodes and Mm. the podcast. Somebody wrote, thank you for all that you do. I have noted down loads of your recent episodes from your amazing pod and I seriously cannot wait to catch up. Keep up the fantastic work. Oh, how nice that's really nice and then we had someone fangirling over us engaging in conversations about cultural appreciation and appropriation yes which was really really great yeah so you've been given permission to wear a sari that's right (laughs) you found yourself a south asian friend that's what you did yes (laughs) gets deep but stays light really relevant and important issues discussed in a totally accessible entertaining way the hosts are open honest and funny I don't even work in the non-profit sector, but I'm hooked. Yeah. Yay. That's good. That's a really good one. And I think the energy that we're going for, right? That kind of balance. Mm -hmm. We're so funny. 
I got another one. Laugh and listen. Love the energy of the co-hosts and the way they frame these issues. Check it out. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but which is your favorite co-host? <laughs> so maybe we could go back to the beginning when we did that very first episode on what the fuck. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to swear then or not. <laughs> but then I was like, oh no, Tia swears every episode. Don't swear um, every episode. <laughs> so what the fuck is transformation was our very first episode. Yes. And that's where we introduced the term transformation, what it means to us, what it means to other people. And we really got into somewhat defining what that could mean. And you came out with some amazing phrases, evolve or die, one of my favourites. Yeah. Another couple of favourites are, you said something about from dark surfacing to light. And I want to start with that because I think that was a really key discussion and, and starting point for transformation. And I think it's something that's come up quite frequently across our episodes in terms of what people are talking about, racism, ethical practices, transforming evaluation, many different things. <laughs> And how a lot of that is about bringing what was maybe in the dark for some people or maybe misunderstood. Maybe there was no awareness on certain issues or maybe there was and it was just in a really technical way and wasn't quite put in the right spaces for people to access. And so I really like the fact that you put out that phrase and we started this idea that there's dark things that are kind of coming to light because as we've moved through this journey I feel that a lot of the things we've discussed have come to light for me but also maybe echoing things that are coming to light in the sector as well so yeah I just wanted to start with that yeah tell me more about great things I said that you like I do just think that that is like a key thread across a lot of our discussions about how things surface, really going from in the dark to to the light. Sounds like something from Lord of the Rings too, so (laughs) I'm into that. (laughs) Is there anything that you can remember from the first episode or anything that you want to touch on? I think for me, the first episode still continues to be an evolving thought process for me about Mm. what transformation looks like in what context and for who and from what perspective. So yeah, it almost feels like that first episode is a continuation into all of the things that we're talking about because I'm still trying to come to grips with my own understanding of what it means to transform and change and what that feels like in practice and different tempos for it, I suppose. Because I think what I've noticed about me personally through the evolution of this podcast is that I've really gone from like these swings and roundabouts of radical disruptive change to incremental change to radical disruptive change to softly, softly change so I don't think I've, I, I mean, we're on the same journey as everybody else, right? I mean, that was going to be one of my questions to you, like way at the beginning, you know, transformation, we talked about it being this kind of big thing, this big change and how I was often the incrementalist or the one was like, okay, we need to do this a little bit. I mean, you've kind of answered that a little bit in what you're saying, but how do you feel about incrementalism now? Yeah, I think it's probably because I'm so tired that I just can't conceive of doing something massive right now. <laughs> there has to be like some component of your own individual capacity to do something really disruptive. I do think that in my day-to-day life, I do try to do like little micro disruptions just to satisfy that part of myself that likes to agitate and annoy people. What's a micro disruption? Just tiny ways to disrupt things. 
So, you know, when I'm driving the van around, for example, if I see a little old lady on the side of the road who's trying to cross the street at a really inconvenient place, I'll just like stop the van, stop all lines of traffic and let that little little old lady cross the street. <laughs> I had fears for the old lady's life. <laughs> I was like, where is this going? Is the disruption involving the old lady or... <laughs> I mean, she and I are together there disrupting the traffic, right? Sure. She's trying to cross in a really inconvenient place. Yeah. I see that. I'm vibing with her. And yeah. we're going to disrupt this traffic together. Nice. I love I'm it. using my power, the power of the fan. I love it. And the words kind of disrupting have come up quite a lot. I've noticed that's something that you've channeled all the way through. And I think another kind of thread is, you know, we've spoken to lots of people who I think would identify themselves as disruptors or good troublemakers and how there's kind of maybe something in the kinds of people that we're talking to that propels them into the space of wanting to do that and propels them into spaces where they've either kind of started a journey way back in their lives or there's something that's gripped them or wanted them to do it whether it's personal whether it's relating to race whether it's relating to being marginalized in some way and so I think there's kind of a thread of the kinds of people that are following that path I suppose well they're the people we're picking right yeah. I think there's something about us and wanting to talk to people who demonstrate a kind of similar trajectory in the thinking yeah I think as fellow disruptors we probably want to be influenced by people who are doing it in different spaces and so I think there's probably something to that. Yeah, and, and what I really like about each of our guests is, and again, we have picked these people and we have reached out to them to ask if they'll participate in this podcast, but they all are very deeply embedded in understanding a problem in a niche area within the sector. And so when they come and they talk and they have this really deep understanding of what the problem is and how they're addressing it, I feel very privileged to hear that process and that story. And they're all very much building on the foundations and histories that have meant that problem has arisen and then they're thinking and, and actively finding ways to address it you know I'm thinking about an alludement and the specific kind of ethical recruitment angle for deepening the leadership piece and Eleanor looking at agile ways of working it's all kind of these really niche but very necessary pieces of a bigger puzzle potentially well I think that's the selection criteria right we have been asking people to help us understand problems from a very specific perspective and very rarely have we had people on to self-promote their work. It generally tends to be we've got a problem that we're trying to understand how to do something better and benefiting from free advice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And this is a byproduct of this podcast that I hadn't anticipated is the learning and the taking on advice. Like I kind of did this with the point of, yeah, I want to talk about things, disrupt things, understand what's happening with the sector and what's wrong with the nonprofit sector and why um, certain areas are not moving forward. But actually, I've learned so much. And I think that was something that I hadn't really anticipated. We've talked about this before, the, this kind of being attuned to different things that are happening around us in terms of race and gender and misogyny and so forth. And idling cars. And idling cars, you know, this kind of transition to being a bit more attuned, at least for me on some of those areas. Yeah, I guess for you there too. Reflecting back on that, the attunement piece also, I think, has been really significant for me in terms of, I guess you could say, a kind of awakening to some of these issues in terms of race and gender and how people interact around me and what's problematic. You know, I think in one episode I talk about swimming <laughs> and being attuned to some of those things when I go swimming. Do you want to talk more about that for people who maybe haven't listened to that episode? Yeah, so in, in a previous episode, I talk about becoming attuned to race, power and gender dynamics when I go swimming 
swimming. So for example, who decides to swim in what lane and where black people are swimming and where white people are swimming across three lanes, which are labelled as slow, medium and fast. And so, you know, I go and do swimming as a fitness exercise. And, you know, when I'm going there now, I'm really noticing these different dynamics, which I feel like is something I may not have noticed or been as attuned to before. So kind of a a learning byproduct for me of being a part of this podcast. And not only on that level, but I think about with Sabrina in the ethical storytelling episode and we talked about being a better digital citizen like that's a whole nother space where you know I perhaps need better attunement to but I'm becoming more aware of my interactions with social media and what that means and then thinking about it from kind of the LGBTQI perspective and inclusion and the discriminatory norms that Lana is talking to us about from edge effects so I think some of these in every piece and every person that we've spoken to taken away the feeling that you know okay I'm, I'm becoming more aware and attuned to it but I have a question for you I feel to a large extent a lot of that attunement has come from doing this podcast but also being around and with you and having the space to talk about these things with you and particularly on like race and your experiences and being aware of who and how people interact with us and we've had some advice in the past where it's been like get a black friend or get a friend from South Asia thanks Tamiwa So so, so I'm just curious, is there something in that? If I hadn't done this podcast, if I hadn't spent some time with you and understood how people talk to us in a cafe or in a shop or whatever, and and the race dynamics in that, would I be as attuned? And and I'm not saying, yeah, like, you know, everyone go and get a black friend, which we kind of tussled with a little bit in the episode of Tomawa. You're suggesting everyone get a me. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. But I'm just curious your thoughts on that in terms of where... I've grown into and where we started with that point. Okay. Do you want me to heap praise upon your growth? No, not at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just curious. I think that probably, I mean, we spend an extraordinary amount of time together, right? And we spend a lot of time interacting in different spaces and in different ways. So we work together doing the consultancy stuff almost every day. We're in communication nearly every day. We do the podcast. We're interacting together on different stuff all the time and we're interacting with other people constantly together so i think it's quite natural that you're able to kind of compare and contrast different ways that people may be interacting with you or myself differently but also i know that there's differences and i am very happy to talk about them and point them out because I think it's important sometimes just to like suck the fun out of every single experience. But but like, should everybody get a black friend? Probably because like, we're fucking awesome. So, you know, find your way to one that works for you. But I also feel like it's that unique combination of the fact that we operate in mediums that require us to have quite a lot of in-depth conversations about different things. And when we're working on projects and we're talking about race and we're talking about gender and we're talking about inclusion in different forms, I think it's just a byproduct of the work that we do both in the consultancy side and in the podcast side that we're just having these conversations. So I'm able to relate it back to my own experience and you're able to relate it back to your own experiences and we're able to hear it and see it through each other's perspectives. Mm. I think it's probably that people should just find a black and brown person and do a podcast with them. Okay. (laughs) I mean, where does that sit then? Like, let's say you 
are a white person and you don't have any black friends or South Asian friends and you hang out in white people circles or white people book clubs. That sounds really sad. Can you advance your understanding of some of these things if you don't? I think you can in a very abstract way Mm. to a Mm. certain extent. But this goes back to one of the episodes that we were talking about in terms of like experiential knowledge, right? Some people know because they can perceive what it's like through another person, people who are very empathetic or people need to know it for themselves and feel it because it's happening to them or to somebody very close to them. I think it's very, very hard for people to understand on a deep level if it's not part of your everyday reality or concern. Right. Which makes sense. Yeah. I think. I've been in spaces where it's like very obvious that I'm the only brown person that's been seen for miles. It's it's very obvious. Mm. And so I think that there's like some places where you're probably just never going to be able to like crack some of that stuff unless people like move or like, yeah, you know, that's just a, a demographics thing, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I just was curious about where we started with that. And it's come up again more recently, having friends that are outside the whiteness or reinforcing your whiteness. There's a lot of diversity among your friend group, I would say. Yeah, I think so. So while I'm very happy to take a good amount of that credit, I think there's probably something about you and the diversity in your friendship circles that Mm -hmm. also kind of just like lends itself. Because your friends who are black and brown are having very similar experiences and you're an empathetic person anyway. So I think probably you were just already primed to be in a good position to hear what I'm saying. And I just happen to be really eloquent (laughs) and articulate at describing those things. Oh, it always sounds like we're compatible. (laughs) (laughs) I want to come back to another theme that has come across our episodes and and we're kind of touching on it here is coming back to being human and coming back to understanding the complexity of a human. I think Pradeep talked about it in terms of the stories you tell, what kind of stories you tell as an individual to others. There's a theme of coming back to what it means to be human. For example, with Anna Ludeman in recruitment, it's almost like going back to that someone is a mother or may have a disability or needs to take care of their children. Instead of being at the top, kind of, we need a full-time cookie-cutter kind of person to fill the role. But actually, let's go back to the fact that this person is human and complex and they have different stories to tell. And I have to wonder if the nonprofit sector has just sort of exploded, created frameworks, policies, um, put people in positions, big organisations. And perhaps more recently, is like, oh, hang on a minute, where does the human element fit in? to all of this and for me that's kind of something I've seen across a lot of the conversations that we've had even with Sabrina when we're talking about co-liberation and freedom you're almost thinking about freedom in the spaces that the nonprofit sector has confined you to can you expand upon that one I guess I mean the policies and frameworks and organizations that you work in a nonprofit sector weren't designed for you right And so we're asking questions about who created them. How were they created? Were they created with the fact that you're a human and maybe you can't work 10 hours a day or that, you know, you're from a particular marginalized group or these kinds of considerations? So it's kind of, you know, the explosion of a sector to then come back to, well, what does it mean to be human within it? Yeah, I think to a certain extent, I agree with that. But more often than not, what I have found and what I feel in myself is that it's a space that tries to, you know, a good example is like the work week. Okay. So 37.5 hours 
a week is the expectation. I've never worked that number, right? You're there day in, day out. I used to go straight from the gym into the office. I'd be the first person in there. And then I'd be leaving as it was starting to get dark and there'd be a couple of us left there. I think the nature of this work that we do is one that we want to do good things. We want to help people. We want to like do all these heart centered, you know, we want to like activate our heart chakras or whatever. Like nobody's getting into this space for the money, right? That's just not real. And so I almost think it's in that context of like people who are just doggedly committed professional activists really committed to a specific thing that those frameworks and the structures that we have maybe in some ways they get really incompatible Mm -hmm. to a certain extent with the people who come to the space i think that we do create these things that make it restrictive for whole people to bring themselves into the space but for me it feels like we haven't quite worked out how to like really use this targeted love and this targeted commitment in a way that's actually beneficial for people (laughs) if you were to take all of the psychological energy and harness that in a way that was really productive. I mean, it goes back to so many different things, to your leadership models, to your funding models. It goes back to all of this stuff that I just don't feel like the human capital is being sufficiently leveraged to really make transformative change. The language of collaboration kind of comes into it. The kind of frameworks and processes sort of come into it for me. Thinking about this journey of transformation, the thing is that I just don't think we as a sector have worked out how to truly leverage minds and talent in a way that could actually be disruptive because we are bogged down by our own legacies, by our own need to problematize things. And, you know, reflecting on some of the things we've said, we're always kind of getting in our own way. Mm. And quite a lot of our guests have sort of talked about getting out of the way, which is definitely a theme and a thread that I came back to when I was reflecting on this episode. But I like what you're saying in terms of almost like harnessing the hope that sits in all of us as people who want to make change, right? You know, it's almost like, how do you fill your car with love rather than with petrol (laughs) to keep it going? (laughs) I know that sounds very hopeful, but... A really good example is... We were doing a research piece with an organization and they are all on this like decolonizing feminist organization, whatever. They're really good at using the right words. And I spoke to someone who was based in the global north who said, I offered to quit my job because I wanted them to hire. My job doesn't need to be based in X country. It can be based anywhere in the world. And I really want to support this agenda of decolonizing this work. I offered to quit my job and it was rejected. And like, that's just a perfect example of like, you have somebody there who's so committed, so dedicated to this agenda that they're willing to throw their livelihood on the line. Fair enough. It was a white guy. Like he'll find another job. He'll fucking sneeze and he'll find another job. Like he's fine. But you've got a really solid, tangible example of somebody who's committed to addressing structural imbalances in the organization. Mm through personal sacrifice and an organization who can't get out of its own way because they're worried about having to pay somebody out or do the extra work to hire somebody based not in a majority white country. Mm. They just can't get out of their own way. And that's one example of a 
thousand examples that have come out through the work that we've done, the consultancies and some of the side conversations we've had with guests. Yes. Harnessing love, harnessing commitment, harnessing human capital. This is a space where if you want people to burn themselves out, they'll burn themselves out for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. We've just haven't got that leadership piece, that motivational driving piece right on the whole. So do you think that those things that you're talking about, harnessing love, human capital and getting out of the way are key ingredients for transformation? Um, yeah, but also the absence. Transformation is just change, right? We haven't really, it can be really great and it can be really shitty. So I think the presence of it is a form of transformation. The absence of it can be a form of transformation. It depends on which direction you want to go in. I would say that like if you are driving toward a particular agenda that is about decolonizing and feminist stuff and whatever, you need to be harnessing all of these things for those reasons. Otherwise, you can't have this positive transformational agenda in the absence of those things. Mm. Because how you can change stuff. Right. I mean... Maybe that white guy's on his own individual journey to transformation. I hope so. But there's also examples of, you know, we were speaking to a certain other podcaster who works for the same organization. That might be too much information. Who said, I really want to like decolonize myself. And then when we asked, oh, how is that going? He said, oh, I just don't, I don't really have the time to do it. I was like, okay. Do you remember this? You're the one who relayed this conversation back to me. Yes. (laughs) So I feel like there needs to be something inside of us that is drawn out to transform, to change, because it requires us to address social stuff, norms, our own agendas. It requires us to be introspective and reflective. And so if you've got a transformative agenda and you're not really tapping in the human pieces, you're just doing it through like a very superficial change management approach. You're not tapping into the humans, you know, talking about like, we are human beings, we are complicated people with complicated needs. If you're not tapping into that piece, then whatever you're trying to do isn't going to be sustainable because you're not catching the hearts and the minds. And like that heart and mind exercise is really important, especially in the space that we work in. Yeah. Absolutely. If I was working in the private sector, you don't need to win my heart. You don't need to activate my mind. You keep flinging money into my bank account and I will just sit at my desk 37.5 hours a week and I will just vibe in that space. That's not what we do. Our jobs in this sector, you can't do it like that. Yeah, no. Because the scale of the problem is so fucking huge that nobody works 37.5 hours. It's just not, it's not reasonable. We all need to be working like 10 times as much to deal with all the shit that's going on right now. You were touching there on the kind of negativity side of transformation. It it reminds me of something that Lana said when it comes to transformation. I guess it's a bit of a catfish too if you're trying to go or, or aim for it. And actually, you're not doing any actions along the way. And she kind of got me thinking about the negative side of transformation, how it can be a bit of, I guess, a goal or a target that makes you continue as if you're never going to get there and or you don't really do anything to get to a point that could be considered transformation, which is kind of what you were talking about in terms of people being good at using words and terms and transformation could be one of those that, you know, people are using in everyday nonprofit language and actually don't really know what it means or how to get there or even if 
it is important and that there's a negative side of transforming, which is another theme that came up quite frequently with our guests in terms of looking at failure and understanding and addressing failure and harm. And quite a few of our guests brought up the idea that we need to be more acutely aware of the harm that we can do and capture it. And so if you are working towards some kind of transformation or change, how do you capture harm or things that could be doing harm along the way? And I reflect on a bit more like my monitoring and evaluation career. You know, I talk a lot about making decisions in terms of what we monitor or what we measure. And I make those decisions and there's a power dynamic in that. We cover quite a lot of that in the power episode we did way back. But then I never go on to reflect on, okay, I've made that decision now what harm could that cause? Or now what issues could it cause? Because I've decided to measure this person's attitudes over another, for example. And so almost an additional step that just never gets kind of folded into thought process. I think an important point that's come through this podcast, essentially about talking about failure and harm. In the episode with Eleanor, you talk a lot about failing fast and the experimental nature of it, which was incredibly useful in terms of finding a way to connect to failure. Any thoughts on that? I think in terms of failure, we're just afraid. I mean, go and listen to that episode because there's a lot of reasons why we're afraid. We are afraid of donors finding out that we're not perfect angels. It touches on so many things, right? Sabrina is talking about the scarcity mindset, right? There's limited donor funds. So we don't want to fail. We don't want to admit failure. We don't want to admit uncertainty, even though we operate in uncertain environments every day. I mean, that's for everyone, right? Like no one is completely certain of everything that's going to happen to them every minute of the day. There is a degree of uncertainty that happens throughout a person's life, throughout a person's day. So I feel like this idea of admitting that we don't know what's going to happen or that we're not sure or admitting when we fucked up, that looks bad to the great and benevolent money givers, right? It almost is weird to pretend like everything that you did in a humanitarian setting went off without a hitch. It's weird to do that. It's like we're all kind of accepting this collective delusion, whereas We just need to, I think I said before, embrace uncertainty, normalize uncertainty, because that's better. That episode with Eleanor Gibson was really great because she's talking about doing like little micro experiments to test it. You know, you've got a concept here, prove that concept. Otherwise, you're just writing the same proposals over and over again. And as a point of reflection for us, I mean, that's something we do, right? Like we write the same proposals over and over again, because that's what people want. What people want are for our consultancy listeners, key informant interviews, focus group discussions, a quantitative survey, like everybody wants the same things. And for me, that's just really fucking boring. But also it's not getting at anything. How are you doing it? We're doing a project at the moment that's a participant led evaluation. We don't make any decisions. We just shepherd the process along and other people are making decisions. We triangulate information where we can. Trying to find different ways to address the same circumstance, I think, is really important. That experimentation, trying something new. But it doesn't always go. I remember the first time we proposed a child-led evaluation, which is a model that organizations have done. I've done it before in the past. And... The organization came back and was like, it's really ambitious. It might just be too ambitious for us. And, you know, we we may not be like structurally prepared for that. So there's some knockbacks. Whereas I think if we had just proposed a basic thing, 
they probably would have been like, oh, cool, because you said you're anti-racist and feminist. Yay. One's brown, one's white. This is perfect. I don't know if it's a supply or demand issue, right? There needs to be space for experimentation, for uncertainty, for difference, for trying to find different ways to capture information. When I say different ways, I, I mean like more ethical ways, more decentralized ways of capturing knowledge, capturing information for the benefit of learning. And I think that we're just afraid of what new concepts look like because we're deeply afraid of failure, but that is rooted in our scarcity mindset because we think there's just not enough money for us to fuck anything up when actually we're fucking stuff up all the time. We're just pretending that it's fine. Yeah. In the episode with Ruth Dawson on evaluations, we do talk about singing recommendations and putting our recommendations in song. (laughs) Go and check out that episode. We do it on the Bournemouth Cliffs. It's a fun one. Going back to your thoughts on the failure in Eleanor Gibson, I think for me, it was the word experimental in that that kind of scared me. And I think has scared me in the past. So not only kind of the scarcity mindset, but I suppose an association with what experiment means from going back to doing science experiments and seeing things blow up, you know, there, there's a real what kind of... What were you doing? Science? There's really kind of an immediate, when you say experiment the end product of what that looks like and that it can go wrong feels quite short I suppose but anyway from the Eleanor Gibson episode I took away a huge amount in terms of tools so we really recommend going to listen to that the three minute rant I think was one of them constructive rant sorry three minute constructive rant so T can get all her saltiness out three minutes is not (laughs) enough for all my saltiness So question, what episode really inspired you or what kind of conversation over the past however many months and 32 episodes did you find the most inspiring? I mean, it's a cop-out answer to say that it's all of them in combination because each of them is really interesting in one particular way. Like if I had to listen to one episode exclusively, I'd find that quite challenging because that's like one area, one thread. Whereas for me, it's the collection of all of them together are like starting to create a picture for me of how I can be doing something different. So even in this conversation, we're like picking bits and pieces from different interviews and different conversations that we've had with people because it's the collective that is the inspirational piece. They're all motivating different parts of my work or different parts of my thinking. I think I learned a lot from the one you and I did on catfishing. (laughs) Oh, wow. Way at the beginning. Way at the beginning. I feel like I learned a lot about how I feel about things and the centerpiece of some of my complaints. Oh, interesting. Um, And similarly, I think the power episode really surfaced a lot of things from my own personal reflection on the stuff that's really getting to me about this space and where we work because thinking about power and thinking about the ways that organizations pretend that they're these beacons of virtue and how all of that exists within a space of power I just feel like I learned a lot about the stuff that really bothers me (laughs) and all the guests kind of help me to unpick some of the grievances that exist in the space of power. I also just like practically learned a lot from the reparations episode that we did because we did a lot of research on reparations and I learned things I didn't know. Yeah, that's true. And actually, you've kind of reminded me of not only am I learning with guests, but the research through this podcast and getting episodes ready and looking at reparations and looking at all sorts of topics have really enlightened me. Because people also message us afterwards, like people message me afterwards to give me more information on certain things that we've covered, Yeah, which I find really helpful. We try to keep these episodes relatively bunched 
tree. So we can't put everything into them. But some people have emailed me and said, you talked a little bit about this. Here's some more information, which I found really, really useful. What about you? What's been the episode where I've inspired you the most? (laughs) Why are you laughing? I think I would answer exactly the same. Sucker. Because it's true. (laughs) Because probably from every single episode, I've taken away, let's say, two or three points. And they've been really practical and actionable points or things that I've gone away and said, okay, I'm going to try and do that. Or, okay, I now have acquired that knowledge and I feel like there's some growth in that. So I think I'd say all of them. And I just really enjoy talking to people. Something that I noticed about myself, I suppose, across all of this is being able to ask questions to guests and to you in this space has felt really empowering. And it's kind of made me reflect on how I've not been able to or I felt there's been a barrier to ask similar questions in organisations that I've worked with previously. We're having really important and hard questions with our guests with each other. Why did I feel that I couldn't raise similar questions like that in spaces, in meetings, in discussions with my colleagues in previous organisations? organizations and I have to wonder if those spaces just don't exist or if they do exist but maybe they're not happening frequently enough or maybe they're not building on it there's just not space you know in meetings to have a quick 10 minutes or even 20 minutes over lunch of okay what's on your mind what's worrying you what are these serious issues happening what are the hard questions to a large extent it does speak to my imposter syndrome and feeling like I can't ask those questions in this space I'm just thinking about walking to a meeting and me being like why are these kinds of people not in this meeting or why are people of color absent from this meeting like I never felt like I could say those things but how much of that has to do with your personality versus Mm. what do you feel like you are an imposter of? I don't think imposter syndrome is not the right thing, but maybe it's more of a confidence issue Mm. being in a space and being able to ask those questions, especially when there's people who I would perceive to have more expertise than me. And if they're not asking the questions, then who am I to ask those questions? This is, I think, is an interesting conversation because what you're describing here is somebody else is probably smarter than me in this room. And if they're not worried, then I shouldn't be worried. That's like the bystander effect. (laughs) Whereas perhaps that person is stewing in their own fucking privilege and can't think to ask that. It doesn't even occur to that person to ask those kinds of questions Mm. because they're benefiting from a system that is enabled by not asking those questions. I think that probably what's happening is that we've encountered a lot of people who have given us confidence to challenge and to say no and to set hard parameters. So we feel bolstered by that wave of energy. Having had conversations with Eleanor and Anna in particular, I certainly feel like no, we are going to set the terms of what we do. Like, this is what we do, and we're going to say no to things, and this is how we're going to be dealing with things. Being much more assertive in what we want and the way that we operate and the things that we need is a benefit of that. It's probably a combination of those spaces not existing. In her episode, Eleanor was talking about bringing in agile ways of working with these more complicated conversations because agile ways of working allow for these kind of punctuated moments of having these discussions about things, not just the constructive rants, but encouraging close dialogue. So there's probably that. And there's probably a combination of you just being buoyed by people who are giving you examples of these conversations and how to have them. But also, I think what I've seen in you over however long we've been working together now, like a bit over a year of working very closely together on the podcast and in the consultancy stuff, there's a much more confrontational approach. You're kind of a bitch. (laughs) 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 You're on your own journey to saying and pointing at things. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like you're pointing at stuff now. I mean, I think for me as well, I'll bring it back to myself. Sometimes I'm better at pointing at stuff than on other days. Other days I might know this is clearly a not a cool thing and this is outside of the social norm. So I don't want to. <laughs> it's a social norm police. And I think some days we're just better at pointing to stuff. You know, some days yes. when facilitating workshops, for example, we're a bit better at making sure the first person who speaks is a woman because there's evidence to suggest that if the first person who speaks is a woman, then more often than not in that same meeting, you will have more women who are speaking. Yeah. So like some days we're better at it than others. Also, Evie was a really good example of protecting space for people of colour and saying no to, I guess, the usual donors that are forcing systems of oppression and that's it. And how do you think that's translated into our work? I think we're working towards saying no mm. to people who don't match our values. And I think, you know, we've talked about to what extent we can say no and more, I suppose, with value misalignment. Mm. It's a bit harder for us sometimes the donor isn't there or the bat donor or whoever, but certainly the organisations. Yeah. And then asking when we have an interview the right questions and feeling more empowered to question what's in the terms of reference and what they say they're putting out there. Hmm. Another question, where did the conversation end too soon? Where do you feel across the conversations we've had in any of the episodes, there's a lot more to be said? Power. Yeah, you did touch on that earlier. Is that why there's a part two? That's why in theory there should be a part two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I felt like that conversation just is much bigger than one episode. I think it's probably multiple episodes. And I think that that's one that I think needs resolution. Mm-hmm. I can only think about maybe two conversations. And I was like, okay, this is like a reasonable place to end. Mm-hmm. But most of them, either with you or with guests, I could very happily keep going for another 20, 30 minutes, if not days. What about you? I'm kind of leaning a bit towards the attention, good white people, white people questions ones, because they felt really emotional. They felt really in depth and they felt like. There was a lot that you could still unravel. There's a lot of questions I could still ask you. So for me, I think maybe that's not a now continuation, but, you know, a few months down the road, building on that and having other things intersect with my thought processes on race and cultural appropriation and appreciation and other things we've talked and then, you know, what that looks like in four months or six months because I felt like the questions I asked in some of those episodes were kind of a build-up of things over the six months prior Mm. so it almost feels like that episodes in itself has a reflective journey Mm. and you know with some of our guests I'd love to just check in again and be like how's it going now because you know as we mentioned in all of our episodes things are not static things continue and change and um, yeah I would say that it's somewhat separate from the question of like how's it going now the question I have is more like this is what we're doing now Because they're influencing the way we're working. We're adopting new ways of working because of them. So Mm. I almost feel like we need them to come in and see what we've done differently. Where do you feel that we haven't had a conversation yet about something that you want to, or you feel that there is a gap or missing or even a person that you feel that we need to have a conversation with? I don't think we've really, which is kind of odd i don't think we've really touched into either of our specialties oh we did a theory of change one and evaluation no you've done a theory of change one but you haven't done an evaluation one with ruth yeah okay do you mean more like data Mm, 
yeah. The one with Ruth was like power and evaluation. So it was a bit more like macro. Ethics, yeah. Theory of change one was a bit more micro. I'm thinking more about diving a bit deeper into like your motivations and your work. (laughs) I see. Scooping the shit out. (laughs) Slopping it onto the table. I'm always worried that it's going to be too technical. I would kind of like an adversarial interview. Like I'd what kind does that of, mean? I want somebody in here that we don't like. Yes. Oh my God. I had this thought. That's kind of why I want to bring a white man on. You want a hard hitting interview with a yeah. white man? Well, I just want to know, like, tell me what it's like from your perspective. We have had a white man on. Have we? Yes. Your dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, it was a brief phone call about berries and deer, but I didn't quite pick him apart. <laughs> I forgot about that episode. Get him on the phone now. Call him. Could have been worse. <laughs> it him. could have been worse was the name of the episode, to be fair. It could have been worse for him. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to have a conversation that's a bit more, because we've had conversations with our guests and we've had disagreements. We've disagreed on different things, but we haven't had anybody who we just don't agree with fundamentally. And I'm kind of interested in something like that. Yeah, I think it's great, Cheryl. But the problem is, is that I don't want that kind of energy in the van. Intimate place for that kind of energy. I'm looking around now. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a small space for that kind of, you know. Yeah, I think it might have to be done, though. We could start small. Do you know what we could do? We could put them in a really vulnerable position, like have them laying on the bed. <laughs> And then, because like, you know how you're trying to do like power moves, you give somebody like a smaller chair. Or you have like, the bed. Yeah. Or like you put the water glass just slightly out of their arm reach, you know, <laughs> shit like that. So we'd put them just like reclining on the bed. Hilarious. I was thinking we'd sit them near the toilet. In the toilet. <laughs> sit them on the toilet. Antonio, <laughs> if you're listening. Oh, funny. Very happy to welcome the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations to the van. <laughs> we have a spot for you. It's warm. <laughs> what are you thinking then? Yeah, but for me, I also want to look at some of the like functions in the organization that we haven't really gone into. So maybe human resources. I know... Anna's more recruitment but because a lot of issues I've had over the years I want an adversarial interview with someone (laughs) yeah so I want to talk to somebody about what that looks like in these non-profits what goes wrong what goes right blah 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 blah. so that is a really big one for me also maybe someone from IT just because it's a bit different we always call on people in IT and non-profits for email stuff my Microsoft team's gone ridiculous or Mm. shut itself down or I got locked out of my account whatever but like what's their motivations for working in the nonprofit center how do they use their it knowledge and how do they combat sometimes this ridiculousness i don't know yeah they say turn it off and then turn it back on again <laughs> that's but, how they combat this ridiculous i know but i kind of just want to talk to someone in it and also maybe fundraising okay for maybe like more the public angle like having to deal with the public and stuff okay curious I mean, you could talk to me about that because I used to have to go door to door raising money for the San Francisco Homeless Services Coalition. Okay, maybe we do an episode on that. I'd like lines that I had to read. Yeah. It's not a very safe job. That sounds scary. Well, no, I mean, for them. Oh. (laughs) Give me your money. People just let me into their homes. It's crazy. Wow. Like, you don't have any idea who I am. You have no clue what I'm capable of. But now they just do it on the streets and stuff. On the high streets, people just sort of stand around trying to grab at you. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah so that that's the kind of um yeah i'd like to splinter off into a couple of those conversations okay but yeah we've got some exciting guests coming up hopefully yes i feel confident that we do more to come so that's it really for my questions and dive into transformation. The one thing I love about where we ended our first ever episode on what the fuck is transformation is we're talking about like, is it something that we need to get to or whatever? And how do we know that we even need to transform? And you're like, I hate you, the usual, because I end with this question of why do we even need to transform? And you're like, oh my God. And you say, well, I just think, you know, you can't stay where you are. You just know that something's not working and that you literally just can't stay where you are and so something's got to change and I think that all through the guests the conversations we've had we're having them because we know something's got to change in all different parts of this what the end goal is who knows whether it's positive and negative transformation or whatever something just needs to change and at the individual level we've talked about how much we've learned organizational level how much people need to become attuned to this and work in a team and leadership and management and blah 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 so hopefully all of those things will lead up into some kind of sector change yeah just wanted to kind of go back to that just something fantastic I thought I said well yeah just I thought a, a nice conclusive point i'm just so clever how do you stand it how do you stand the rays of my genius bye (laughs) (laughs) any final words it's been really good to do this with you Mm. i can't imagine anyone else i could talk to for this long don't get excited (laughs) this is pretty unusual listeners (laughs) (laughs) i'll take it back So, yeah, you know, the thing that the listeners don't hear are some of the arguments that we have on the side about stuff. Don't tell them that. Well, because it's important. Like, this is not Instagram culture. Having hard conversations, sometimes they're just actually really, really harder conversations that happen on the side about the ways that we're working, the two personalities that enter into the space of podcasting and the space of doing consultancies together. It's not perfect. And I think that I've just appreciated your patience and your willingness to explore conversations with me and i think that's probably enough positive reinforcement for you today (laughs) but i will also echo the same because i'm asking questions that maybe you know in a past life i would have felt were really stupid and maybe a bit like you know oh gosh i'm asking this question and i'm 32 and surely i should know the answer to this or surely i would have explored this in my past organizations or people i've worked with so i appreciate your patience with the questions that i ask you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) and i agree yes we argue on those things but it's also really fun and maybe we should just have a final shout out to all our listeners who have listened hopefully to all 32 episodes if you haven't you've got some time this weekend download them and thank you very much for listening and we really really appreciate it feel free to keep engaging with us we want to continue these conversations long after we stop recording yes so let us know what you think find us at jrnypodcast at gmail.com or we're on all the socials at jrnypodcast i'm lauren i'm tia and this is the journey to transformation bye bye thank you for listening to this week's episode of journey to transformation leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast journey to transformation is written and edited by us tia rogers and lauren burrows our music comes from Praz canal